Father, we, we thank you, Lord. We sing the song that we just want to be with you. And the reason we sing that song is because you've shown us that you want to be with us. Emmanuel, God, with us, you sent your son through 42 generations, born of a virgin, living a perfect life, dying for our sins so that we would be reconciled to you. Father, as we seek to be in your presence, remind us that you've removed every barrier to your presence so that we would be with you, that we would know you, that we would have eternal life in your name. I pray, Father, that whatever people may be struggling with in this room, whatever, whatever spiritual or emotional barriers, mental, intellectual barriers that are present, I, I pray that you would remove those barriers in this moment, that we would experience your presence, that we would experience your power. We thank you for your grace and we thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen. Good morning, church. Again, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. Have one of the, have the gift and the, the blessing of reading or preaching God's word today. As we continue in our season of Advent, uh, preparing for the, the coming of our Lord and Savior of Jesus Christ. Um, today we'll be in Luke 1, verse 26 through 38, reading from the uh, NIV translation. Starting at verse 26, it reads like this. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One 
to be born will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be done to me as you said. Then the angel left her. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to be hearers and doers of your word. Making my goal in this moment, Lord God, to please you and you alone. Have your way in this place. Save souls. Encourage your people. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. You may be seated. In the 1700s, David Hume, a Scottish philosopher, was one of the leading voices in denying the possibility of miracles. For Hume, the natural world could be measured and known and observed. And because the human experience is restricted to the natural, the idea of supernatural things was foolish. For him, the claim of miracles was subject to human understanding and human experience. One of his followers, an atheist named Christopher Hitchens, he says that a miracle is a disturbance or interruption in the expected and established course of things. For Hitchens, the supernatural claims that people made must be evaluated by human senses. But the problem with this idea is that human intellect can choke out human imagination. We want a reality that is subject to our senses, a reality that can be predicted and measured. For some of us, we want a, a God who's subject to our senses. A God who's subject to our senses is a God who's predictable. A predictable God is a God who's common. And a God who is common is a God that we can control. And a God, church, that you can control is a God you really don't need. Our sister Corey, she said it like this. She says that we are uncomfortable with the God we cannot control because it makes us feel small. We can have the idol of intellect. We can begin to think of the God who created us in his image 
as a God who was created in ours, who can be fully understood through our intellect, who can be debated and persuaded and shaped by our expectations. But Luke, in his gospel, he proclaims to us that you cannot control the God of the gospel. Luke shocks us out of this false sense of understanding. For the audience in Luke, they understand the Messiah, their understanding of the Messiah is constrained to political liberation, military power. But, but Luke tells the story of a God who reshapes human expectation. He defies human understanding to demonstrate his power and to offer his compassion to those who are excluded in the world. This season of Advent is meant to reawaken our imagination. It's meant to remind us that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts, not our thoughts. To, to warn us that if we are not careful, that the idol of intellect can choke out the imagination that God desires for us to have so that we would be in awe of his greatness and his glory. This text today calls us to ask the question, how are we to respond to the mystery of God? How should we relate to a God that exists outside of creation, but breaks into creation in order to reveal his plans and his purposes? From this text today, as we look at the narrative of the birth of Jesus, we'll see that God performs miracles to demonstrate that his power is not limited by human possibility and that his compassion still works through human limitations. Our greatest need is God, but we have a God who does not need us, we need him. And even in light of our need for him. In his compassion, he exercises his power that's not limited by human possibility in order to supply our needs according to his riches and his glory. First thing we notice in Luke 1, verses 26 through 38, the first thing we notice is an angel, a messenger, of God gives Mary a disturbing word. Before we look at this disturbing word she receives, we have to look at God's movement in chapter one. God's movement in the text undermines human expectation. We see before this story that John the Baptist, his birth is foretold and He's born of a righteous family. In this setting, we see that this angel visits Jerusalem, goes to the temple. There's crowds around the, around the temple worshiping 
and honoring and glorifying God. The angel goes to the priest, Zechariah, as he's performing his religious duties. And the angel appears to speak a prophetic word to the preacher. We expect God to show up in church. We expect God to show up when worship is happening. We expect God to show up and speak to the preacher. But God's movement in the text undermines human expectation. God has a word not only in the temple to the preacher as others are worshiping around him, but no, this God visits Nazareth. This God goes to the village to an unknown virgin girl, a undocumented woman. We don't know her origin story. We don't know her background. She does not come from prestige. She lives in a place that is despised by the Jews. She's not important in her culture, but the angel appears and pronounces the word of the Lord to her. This reminds us, church, that we cannot put a limit on where God is going and who God is speaking to. That this God, the same God that speaks to the temple, at the temple, the same God that speaks to the preacher is the same God that speaks to the poor woman that nobody knows and nobody expects God would speak to. He speaks to this woman that nobody knows in a place that everybody despises. What good can come out of Nazareth? God defies and undermines human expectation. He's not only the God of the temple, but the God of the village. He speaks a word of favor, a word of blessing. He comes to her and says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. This word favor, this is the word that speaks to God's grace. It's a grace on top of grace. She's enriched and lavished and freely given grace. This angel is speaking to her not because of her goodness, but God's gracious love towards her says, greeting to you, Mary, the Lord is with you. You would expect celebration and excitement to hear that God has come to visit her. But Mary, she knows the word. We see in her song in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56, she knows the word. She knows who God is. And because she knows the word, she knows that a greeting of grace usually comes with a dangerous assignment. Exodus 3, Moses sees the burning bush and God reveals his presence. He greets him with a greeting of grace, but it comes with a dangerous assignment to liberate God's people from oppression. Judges 6 Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press, and God comes to him and says, greetings, valiant warrior, God is with you. 
A greeting of grace comes with a dangerous assignment. Mary knows the word, and she knows if God is with her, God may be calling her to something that may cost her something. Church, sometimes when you open this Bible, God's word can bring more concern and comfort. It may disrupt some of your plans. It may disrupt some of your desires. It may shock you. It may bring chaos or trouble into your life in the moment. She's troubled by what she hears. But what I love about Mary and what Mary can teach us as she receives God's word of greeting Mary does not react to what she hears. She reflects on what is said. She does not speak prematurely. She contemplates and meditates on what is said. She sits with this greeting. She wonders what this might mean. She treasures this word in her heart. Can you imagine the emotional weight she feels the rush of fear that comes when God shows up through his messenger with a word. She must have some type of emotional strength to hear this disturbing greeting and not be moved to an immediate reaction or response. Mary shows us, she reminds us during this Advent season that we must learn to wait with the word. That Oftentimes, our worst decisions are rash decisions. My granddad used to always say it like this. Every time you make a decision, you need to take two and think it through. Sometimes you may face decisions where you need two minutes before you respond. Sometimes you need two days before you respond to that text message in your phone. Sometimes you need two weeks before you respond and you make that decision. Sometimes you might need two months or two years. The principle is sometimes you need to think through the decision to think about the cost, to think about the consequences before you respond to what you should do. Mary does not run. She's not rushed. She does not react. She reflects. She meditates on what the Lord has said. The angel recognizes her fear and he calms her fear by reminding her of God's favor on her life and to remind her of the purpose of the greeting. She says that you will conceive a son. You name him Jesus, he will be great. Be called the son of the most high the Lord God will give him the throne of David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. You notice the contrast and the comparison between the prophecy around John the Baptist and the prophecy around Jesus. John the Baptist is great in the sight of the Lord, but Jesus is great, another name for the Lord. John the Baptist is the son of a godly marriage. Jesus is the son of the most high God. This is a 
fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. 2 Samuel 7, um, 7, 14 speaks to the son that would be given a throne that would be established forever. And in this moment, after hundreds, thousands of years, God's timing, God's word is being fulfilled through Mary. This perfect time, and we see that God is fulfilling his promises. They are unfolding before her eyes God's plan is unfolding and his timing is perfect. Advent reminds us as we wait on the coming of the Lord, not to let waiting crush our expectation. Advent invites us to a life of endurance, patiently waiting for God, with God, for his promises and his plans to unfold. Old Testament, we have the promise of the Messiah. And in the New Testament, we see the presence of the Messiah. All of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And now Mary is hearing that she will participate in these promises coming to pass on behalf of God's people. The king that the people have been waiting on is the king that is on the way. Mary, she starts off and she's concerned, she's conflicted, she's contemplating what this word means. First we see she's disturbed in the beginning, but now she sees that this prophecy is a divine work. Mary goes from concern to a curiosity. We can follow the comparison between Zechariah the preacher and Mary the poor woman in Nazareth. Zechariah in Luke 1, he hears the word through Gabriel that his wife will give birth to John the Baptist and the baby will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, how can this happened. When Mary hears the word of the Lord, she says, how will this happen? One is a faithless reaction rooted in human limitation. The other is a faithful response rooted in divine possibility. Church, one is looking for evidence one is looking for proof. We've been waiting our entire lives for a child, and now this angel shows up telling me that my wife will have a child. No, I need you to show me a sign to prove that this word is true. But the other is not looking for proof, but is listening in faith. It seems humanly impossible to conceive without intercourse with a man. There's no precedent for a virgin birth. We see women in the Old Testament having children who are barren or of old age, but we have no precedent for a virgin who's never had sexual intercourse to have a baby. Mary is curious, but Mary does not jump to conclusions. The difference is 
Mary is seeking understanding. She's not leaning on her understanding. She says, how will this happen? Her intellect gives way to her imagination. She does not fully understand how this will happen, but she's open to listen to what God will do through her. She sees that God's power is not limited to human possibility and that his compassion still works through human limitation. She says, how will this happen? The angel says that with God, all things are possible. The, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the presence, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is the work of the divine. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. The Holy Spirit is the person who exercises creative power in creation when we see him acting in Genesis 1. We see the Trinity in action in Genesis 1 where God the Father created the heavens and the earth through God the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit creates life bringing order in chaos and church we as believers believe if we believe that God created the heavens and the earth then it is not a contradiction to believe that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit without the assistance of a man that this Holy Spirit is not a impersonal force that we can wield and use in whatever way we want to but this is God personal presence within us that this Holy Spirit is going to bring forth this son. There's no need for a man to be involved because God is God. And he brings his son into the world and he is holy. He's holy and he's human. He's holy because he knows no sin. He's human because he's tempted in every way like we are yet without sin. He's free from the power and the presence of sin. But in his humanity, he's not free from the temptations we face every single day. His birth is ordained by the Father, accomplished by the Holy Spirit. This son is born into our world. It's often been said by commentators that Jesus experiences a greater temptation than we do. He experiences a greater temptation because he was sinless. And because he is sinless, he felt the full weight and force of every temptation we face. And he did not have an outlet to sin. He feels the full weight of temptation without giving himself to temptation because he's human and holy. This truth that the angel proclaims to Mary, it teaches us about the foundation of our faith. It teaches us that we are saved by grace. God saves 
us. We're saved by grace, not by works that no man may boast. Church, God does not need us in order to help us. God is so much of a God that God sent God by the power of God to save us from God for God. This is God's work. We believe in miracles. We believe in the divine. We believe in the supernatural because God lives outside of the natural. He exists outside of creation. He broke into our world to redeem us and reconcile us back to himself. God is God all by himself. We see the Holy Spirit's work, God the Father ordaining the virgin birth of his son to be incarnated and to be with us. Mary's life symbolizes a life into which Jesus is born and Jesus is born. The Holy, the Holy Spirit builds throughout the scriptures sacred places for God's presence to dwell. In Genesis 1, we see that the earth is formless and void and full of darkness, and you see the Holy Spirit overshadowing creation to bring about life. Exodus 40 as they are building the temple, we see this cloud, this spirit cloud over the tabernacle and God's glory fills the place. We now, the church, see in the New Testament that we are the temple of the living God where the spirit abides. And here in this moment, we see that Mary's body is becoming a sacred space where the spirit abides and where Christ is born. Church, when we think about Advent, Advent has something to do with our bodies. Church, it reminds us that the body was not made for self-indulgence. The body was not made for abuse. The body was not made for exploitation, but it is a physical space where the Holy Spirit is meant to dwell. How we steward our bodies shows the allegiance of our hearts. Church, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. When Christ comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body prepared for me, a body that was broken on our behalf so that we would become the body of Christ. A body that bled on that cross for hours and hours so that we would be reconciled and covered by his blood. Mary teaches us what it looks like to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable worship. Advent forces us to ask the question, what are we doing with our bodies? Are we using our bodies for our own pleasure? Are we using our bodies to numb ourselves to emotional pain? But are we using our bodies as a space for preparation temples of the Holy Spirit as we await the coming of Jesus 
and as we wait for him to give us new bodies that will never be broken again. She shows us what it looks like to allow God to use us as vessels of honor, sanctified and met for the master's use. This is a divine work. The angel reassures Mary that this is a divine work from God, by God, and he's going to use you. The angel, don't, he does not even, he doesn't stop there. He says, I want you to hear the word because God's power is not limited to human possibility. But I also want you to see how the word through the spirit is already being fulfilled through your family. He says, go look at your cousin. This old woman that was barren. This old woman who suffered all her life with disgrace and shame and her security was threatened because she did not have a child to take care of her and lead a family legacy. Go look at this woman who was called barren. Go look at her and see what the Holy, Holy Spirit is doing that she's already six months pregnant. This older woman who's called barren and this young woman from a place called Worthless are both set apart to be used by God. Advent challenges our ideas around age. It, it speaks to generational gaps. Advent challenges the thought that age is a barrier to God's favor. Church, this is a word to both the old and the young. For the older generation, it says it's too late for me to be used by God. To the younger generation who says it's too early for me to live for God. God breaks those cultural ideas and those traditional barriers. Those ideas have to bow down to his power and his compassion for his people. Church, don't let culture's perception of you, the limitations, the barriers that people put on you and even you put on yourself to choke out your service to the Lord. This is a divine work. Human potential, human limitations have to bow down to God's power and through his compassion, God can still work through human limitation. Mary is concerned and then she's curious. And after she hears that this is a divine work by the Spirit, ordained by God, Mary is committed. She's determined in her will. Verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done unto me. This word servant here is the lowest term for a slave that has no power, that has no agency, but is fully given themselves to a master. She says, may it be done unto me. Mary does not fully understand, but she's still fully committed. 
she shows us as we await the coming of the Lord that her obedience is not tied to an outcome. She's consecrated even when she doesn't know everything that's about to happen. Can you imagine what's going through her mind as she hears this word, as she sees the word at work in the life of her cousin? I can imagine her saying, I know that I have to tell Joseph this. He might think that I've cheated on him, that I've been unfaithful to the vows I made. I know rumors will threaten my security and my welfare. I know that my security is tied to this man, that my status in my community is tied to this marriage. But let it be done unto me. I know my family is going to look at me different, but let it be done unto me. I know that the Bible says that when the Messiah would come, that the government would be upon his shoulders. But she does not know that an evil government will try to kill every boy in the country just to kill her son. She doesn't know that, but she still says, let it be done unto me. She knew that he would be a, a king, but she did not know that his kingdom would come with a cross. She knew that she would be called the mother of the Messiah, but she did not know that she would have to watch her son be murdered and publicly humiliated by the state and rejected by his own people. Yet, and still with the unknown, she knows what God has said. And through it all, she says, let it be done to me. Her devotion is a template for discipleship. Her words here reflect the words of her son and her savior in the face of death, forsaken by the father, abandoned by his friends, blasphemed by his own, brutalized by a military, shamed by the religious elite in the face of it all. He says, let it be done to me. In the garden of Gethsemane, we see the weight of the suffering, and he, unlike Mary, knows what's to come. And in the face of the wrath of God, the pain of giving his life on the behalf of his people, he says, not my will, but your will be done. Mary's yes to God comes without knowing all the implications of her yes. But Jesus' yes to God comes knowing the full implications of his yes, and yet he goes forth to that cross for our sins. Advent is an invitation as we see the word and the spirit at work to fully surrender ourselves to God, to present our bodies, to prepare ourselves mentally, spiritually, emotionally, to prepare for the coming of Jesus, to make space in our hearts and our minds to receive him with gladness. During this season, church, there's one reflection that I invite us into. 
as we await and anticipate the coming of our Lord into this world? What are the things that you have said you would never do again for God because of the pain of past consequence or the fear of future consequences? Mary does not know she can only anticipate the consequences of her commitment. For some of us, it may be relationships that God has called us to reconcile and work through. And we know God has said yes, but we will not do it because of the pain of past consequences. It might be ministry on your heart, something God has called you to do to serve within his kingdom, but you are fearful in that because you are afraid of the future consequences of your commitment. Advent is an opportunity, an invitation for us to reflect on how committed we are to the Lord, to, concentra to consecrate, consecrate ourselves, fully preparing our bodies, our hearts, our minds to receive our Lord with gladness. The Lord calls us to himself and he calls us to do extraordinary things and to participate in his divine work in this world because his power is not limited to the possibilities we see. And he is compassionate towards us that so through his grace, he still works through human limitations to perform miracles and accomplish his purposes. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. I pray, Father, that we would learn to meditate, to contemplate the meaning of this season, that we would be able to slow down, that we would be still and know that you are God, that you would be exalted in all of the heavens and exalted in all of the earth. Lord, whatever is in our way where we cannot see you right now, I pray that you will remove the scales from our eyes. Would you remove the distractions? Would you remove the other desires that are in competition with your will? Would we make space to receive you, to adore you, and to acknowledge you and worship you, God? We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Would you bless us in this way? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.